You're listening to On Human Rights, where we bring you interviews from experts around the world. We highlight the latest and most interesting trends and bring you information on human rights and international humanitarian law. My name is Paulina, and we are broadcasting from the Ralph Allenberg Institute in Lund, Sweden. Today, we are speaking with RWI researcher Neshan Gunasekera. Neshan's background is in international law, human rights, international relations, and program and project management. His interests are in the area of environmental law, intergenerational equity, and earth trusteeship. Thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate having you on this episode of the podcast. Let's jump into the first question. What is earth trusteeship? And more on that, what are the key principles and values that underpin the idea of earth trusteeship? Well, thank you, Pauline. It's a great pleasure uh, to connect with you on this important topic, which is very close to my work. Interestingly, we are meeting at a time where there are several challenges facing us at the global level. And there is, I believe, what we call uh, a series of violent episodes, which is engulfing the world. And I think the concepts and spirit of Earth trusteeship is quite key if we had to get out of this mess. And I would say a trusteeship, um, uh, in, in a sense, is our responsibilities to each other, the natural environment, and to the common future of the planet in, with all its beings. And uh, it's also important to look back of our achievements. It's, uh, 2023 will mark uh, 75 years since the adoption of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Interestingly, I'm not sure how much you've read into this declaration from 75 years ago, but if you keep reading the declaration as we are required to do as lawyers, not to you know pick and choose bits and pieces of the declaration, but when you get to Article 29, which is at the latter part of the declaration, it talks about that human rights can be only fully realized if you understand within the purview of responsibilities. And I think that's where Earth trusteeship really builds on, that we do have rights, and but we also have responsibilities that necessitates in recognizing and honoring them. So Earth trusteeship, as they have defined now in the principles that we've agreed in 2018 at The Hague, as kind of recognizing that humans are part of the community of life that is what we call earth community and this determines both our rights and responsibilities so in order to honor them we need to ensure that our decision making includes current and future generations on life on the planet and your second part of the question was uh, you know principles and values we can spend a lot of time discussing this but uh, in the interest of time, I would say uh, these key principles uh, in a legal periphery are our common achievements. Those are human rights, the environmental regime, uh, the international environmental law, going back at least 50 plus years to the Stockholm Conference, uh, which is of great significance, and then to the Rio processes that started in 1992. But these principles really come from international law and international environmental law. And an interesting process that I think I should mention here 
is that in the late 1980s and 1990s, there was a convergence of civil society movements, environmental lawyers, and those who work in the multilateral system uh, to bring about shift in consciousness. And this was actually called uh, the Earth Charter. Fortunately, the Earth Charter did not get included in the Millennium Development Goals, but it's nevertheless one of the most powerful documents which encapsulated the spirit of Earth trusteeship which really comes from the oldest tradition of principles we have on the planet, which is the indigenous legal systems and wisdom, which has existed on the planet for almost 200,000 years. And I think that's where we draw the principles from. And with regard to the values, I would just say that I'll pick one value, which is uh, trust. I think trust is at the heart of Earth trusteeship, not the fact that it sounds <laughs> almost uh, similar to the concept, uh, but I think we are living at an age where there's a complete deficit of trust, whether it's trust at the community level, we share similar histories, but it seems quite strange that we do not know of our common histories. We have a huge deficit of trust at the multilateral level. Uh, there is uh, less and less cooperation when there should be more and more cooperation to uh, shelter ourselves from the violence and move away from this, but I think trust is at the heart of the value, I would say, of a trusteeship uh, amongst communities and with the natural environment. And this really existed in indigenous systems, uh, which we could talk about later, because there was a real trust relationship between humans as one species and the natural environment. I hope we can uh, get back to that kind of wisdom uh, in this engagement that we have. Yeah. Thank you. The next question that I have for you is, how does Earth trusteeship address current environmental challenges and why is it a big topic right now? That's a very pertinent point. I mean, for this, I would uh, immediately give the one of the best examples that I'm privy to is a precedent set out uh, in a judgment of late Judge Christopher Veeramantri, who was a vice president of the International Court of Justice. It was an interesting case between Hungary and Slovakia with regard to damming of the river Danube. Now here's a situation where the marveling of the engineering abilities of humankind, uh, there was a dam built. And the idea of a dam, of course, is to share the natural resources, but it is quite difficult when it crosses national boundaries. How do we actually do this? This was a case filed in uh, the late 1990s. In fact, uh, Judge Viramantri's separate opinion was written in 1997. Now, uh, this case required the International Court of Justice to go into what at that time was the concept of sustainable development. I call it concept at that time because today is very much part of international yeah. law. I dare not call it concept anymore because this is what basically drives the whole global program in, in the UN. Now, why is it topical? Because in that judgment, specifically in the uh, separate opinion, Judge Viramantri was able to go into detail about how we are not owners of natural resources, that we are trustees and that we hold these natural resources in the principles of trusteeship so that those who are here and now and those who are yet to come, those who are not yet born, has an equal right to access them. And I think uh, it's easier said than done, but this was driven into that precedent 
where Dr. Mantri said that this was the first principle of international and environmental law. And I believe this is pertinent today, uh, Paulina, because I think we are very much aware with the scientific evidence of the stresses that we are putting on the planet, the limitations of the planet and the boundaries. And, and these planetary boundaries have reminded us that we've you know, crossed the threshold 40, 50 years ago, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to things like biodiversity loss. Now, how are we going to correct our path? And I think that's where, uh, I mean, you say it's a big topic right now. I wish it was a big topic 50 years ago, yeah. so you and I didn't have to have this conversation today. But I'm glad we're having the conversation uh, because I think there is a surge of recognition that we are really running out of time, and we have in certain spheres. So in order to correct our path, especially at the uh, governance level, uh, trusteeship is one of the principal concepts that have been pushed by not only lawyers, uh, but all those who are involved in governance, but also especially younger generation. And, and this is something I'm happy to go into later on. But really to say that we are really running out of time and to correct our course, we may have less than a couple of decades. And I think we need to realize that faster rather than later. So mm -hmm. I think it's important right now. Just to give some more background to our listeners, are there legal frameworks or international agreements that promote or recognize the concept of Earth trusteeship? Okay, I would say immediately that I'm heavily biased on this. Uh, I would uh, immediately argue that the Earth trusteeship legal framework is one of those things that have been already enshrined in customary principles of law. Because as I mentioned before, the indigenous legal systems and wisdom of those those knowledge systems really allow us to draw from that to the current international environmental law and public international law. So in a quick answer I would say yes, it's caught within the principles of international law as recognized by the statute of the ICJ and sources of the ICJ. And then if you look at the modern developments tracing back to perhaps the Stockholm conference in 1972, our responsibilities to each other, uh, our responsibility to protect the natural resources so that not only this generation but future generations could also benefit from it has already been recognized. So from 72 to 2023, we've had, I would say, an interesting development of international environmental law, but with almost 30 plus international agreements, we are yet to realize the kind of necessary changes that would bring about a sustainable planet and that's where we're struggling with and that's where I think uh, although the principles of our trusteeship are encapsulated in some of these key documents including this year for example there was a great achievement for principles of common heritage of humankind which was again uh, enshrined in the High Seas Treaty uh, which was agreed upon earlier this year. These are all achievements of our trusteeship. But still, there is that, I would say, barrier that we need to overcome for its full realization. Could you provide any other successful examples of Earth trusteeship in action? Interestingly, uh, some of the cases that I'm privy to, mainly because of my work with uh, late Judge Viramantri, is perhaps one of the most important, if not the most important, case that went before the International Court of Justice. Uh, in the late 1990s, which was the illegality of nuclear weapons. Uh, this was 
there was not one case. There were several cases brought uh, forth by Pacific Islands, including uh, lead by New Zealand uh, with regard to both uh, nuclear testing in the atmosphere as well as underground. But this particular case in 1996 where the World Health Organization asked this question from uh, the International Court of Justice for an advisory opinion considered the most important case uh, at that time. And why is that a reflection of our trusteeship? The judges went into detail about the challenges facing the world, including what's going on in weaponizing the planet. Because again, currently we are living at a time that suddenly there's a surge of weapons uh, that needs to uh, go into unfortunate uh, armed conflicts that are happening across the planet. And I would have thought for the 21st century that we are better than this. But here we are having this conversation. But in 1996, in that case, the judges went and held that nuclear weapons are generally illegal under international law, which I think is an important judgment. And in Judge Veeramantri's case, he very specifically said that in, that international law prohibits and that nuclear weapons are illegal under all circumstances. And I think that's a clear example of a trusteeship in action. Another very interesting example is the wonderful achievements or work of uh, Mr. Tony Oposa, who's a gentleman from the Philippines. So 30 years ago, he decided to challenge the government of the Philippines with regard to protecting natural forests. Uh, there was obviously, like in many parts of the world that we know, uh, industries would you know, step in and suddenly part of the forest is gone. And these forests don't grow in 10 or 15 years, they grow in three, 400 years. So he challenged the court not only for his generation, he said he's bringing this case against the government for generations yet unborn. So quite interestingly, without throwing this petition saying, what, this is absurd, you know, what are you talking about generations yet, yet unborn? How can they be represented in court? Mm -hmm. And who are you to represent them in court, you know? The Supreme Court said, absolutely. States have an obligation, not only for those who are here and now, those who are even yet to come can be represented in court because states have an obligation not only to protect the environment for five or 10 years, they have to be held in trust for countless generations to come. So the Supreme Court went into detail and obviously held in favor of uh, Mr. Oposa and this petition, but that was one of the very first occasions with that future generations were given right of standing in a court. So that was 30 years ago. So I would you know, put that as a great success for trusteeship. And the final example, which I think you've heard me speak enough of, but I will repeat here, it is wonderful initiative of young leaders from the Pacific Island states. Mm -hmm. At the height of the uh, you know, coronavirus pandemic, uh, when all the universities were really shut and you know, we had very limited opportunity to meet these young people in the Pacific Islands met and thought, look, we have been trying to inform the global politics that uh, our future is under threat. Our homes are going underwater. And that's physically something that they're realizing in one generation. They're not talking about something that's going to happen in 30 years or 40 years. It's happening in their generation. So they thought, what about an exercise to take the issue of climate change to the highest court in the world, the International Court of Justice? It was like a mock exercise. Like It's like you and me meeting here today and having a chat. You know, wouldn't this be exciting? And we said, yes, let's give it a shot. 
but you know fast forward the three and a half years the inspiration from these young people uh, then inspired the Vanuatu government then inspired uh, what they call a coalition of states 18 states led by the Vanuatu government which lobbied the United Nations General Assembly to put the issue of climate change for an advisory opinion to the International Court of Justice and in March this year, a huge victory for international relations and international law is when the UN General Assembly, by consensus, that means no one voted against it, that means everybody voted in favor, decided to put this question to the International Court of Justice. Now, this case possibly, uh, which is going to be uh, deliberated upon uh, beginning January next year in 2024, which probably be the most important case at the beginning of this century. And here, I believe these young people and the older people, including those in governance structures in the Vanuatu government and others, are acting as earth trustees. The climate issue is not just for you and I and in this generation. The climate issue, if we don't get it right, it's going to impact not just us as one species, but everybody else. And bringing it through that level of activism takes huge amount of courage. And these are not people who are necessarily well financed or there's no big entities, financial support for them. But just that belief that, you know, we have the energy to bring this about and to see through now the, you know, the process is almost four to five years and we're looking at even a longer engagement after the, you know, the hearing next year. I believe there's a real reawakening of especially the younger generation. And this is an opportunity that I think uh, the older generation should not miss and then it's an opportunity again for intergenerational partnership and that is a key concept that uh, informs a trusteeship. Thank you for those very insightful examples. I wanted to ask, the Hague principles for a universal declaration on human responsibilities and earth trusteeship are soon to celebrate their five-year anniversary which coincides with the 75th anniversary of the UDHR. What role do these principles play in our discussion? A symbolic gesture, 75 years and then the five years. Here I must really mention uh, some of the pioneering work of one professor, Klaus Boselman uh, from Otterea, New Zealand, who is one of the top international law uh, experts on the subject and is an international environmental lawyer who's uh, spearheaded many, many initiatives over the last uh, few decades. The Declaration on uh, Human Rights and Responsibilities, including a trusteeship, which was launched in 2018, came from the premise that whilst the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was a very important document which contributed to our understanding of governance and international law in the 20th century, uh, without fully realizing the other side of the coin, as I said, the responsibilities that comes with the rights. We feel that it's a limitation for ensuring that the 21st century has the right set of tools and values to bring about this paradigm change. Because the Universal Declaration of Human Rights with its great achievement, we mustn't forget, was also born out from a very unfortunate period of human history was the Second World War and in the aftermath where the United Nations and the International Court of Justice and all this was established and the Universal Declaration was also founded in response to the violence that was there. But I think for to build a, a narrative for the 21st century we needed to have something much more 
pluralistic understanding of responsibilities on one very small space called Earth. And that's where the initiative that took shape and the idea of that is to call on the international community, including the United Nations, to adopt a newer, updated version or a brand new declaration, calling it you know, the Declaration of Human Rights and Responsibilities. And this is, of course, not an initiative in its isolation. It builds on the Earth Charter, which brought together almost 40, 50 years of jurisprudence, a number of efforts on international environment law, including the Rio processors, the Stockholm processors, and the knowledge of indigenous systems. Now, this shift is possibly, we find in, in the group that is working towards it, at the heart of the transformation agenda. We have the SDGs till 2030, but we are looking beyond that, because already, if you look at the reports and the evidence, uh, we are not even halfway to achieving the SDGs which is really alarming. And with the current ongoing conflicts, armed conflicts on the planet, these things are going to get pushed further behind. And that's why I think, as symbolic as it sounds, you know, 75 years of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, we need to really look deeply into the lessons learned in history and then build up uh, a conversation to our role as on one, one Earth community, part of the community of life. And I think that necessitates a deeper discussion going forward. I couldn't agree more. Now to stray from the topic of Earth trusteeship a little bit, the term ecocide is entering everyday language. What exactly is it? Very interesting. I would also say that ecocide forms the other part of the coin of, of Earth trusteeship. And I, I remember the wonderful work of late Judge Vera Mantri, but here I also need to mention the work of a number of people, but uh, late Polly Higgins, uh, who a Scottish barrister, she really dedicated her last uh, years of her life uh, to bringing about the ecocide campaign. Ecocide really means one of the worst crimes on the planet. It's basically an intentional damage that you do to the environment, which has long-term consequence, and that is done with intention. That could be kind of found on those people who have actually violated this, found guilty, and necessary sentence in line with the crime. So it develops from the time of genocide, for example, which is the mass killing of a human population for various reasons, including ethnic uh, and, and political reasons. But ecocide looks at expanding this and bringing about accountability for those who violate this. And today we have so many examples uh, that could be defined as this, and we are waiting for the first series of cases to go before court uh, and, and to determine who's uh, violated this concept. At the multilateral level, there is a push to bring ecocide to kind of within international criminal law, within the Rome Statute, that's the real international campaign that uh, you know Polly Higgins and others have worked on. But at the national regional level, with many, many countries now have kind of adopted their own national legislation on ecocide. You know, it's open. It can be one of these days that, you know, certain cases that are before these national tribunals or regional courts find uh, certain governments or certain corporates uh, knowingly damaging the environment for countless generations in violation of ecocide. So while Earth trusteeship for me is the kind of the spiritual and the good faith basis 
of uh, bringing about a paradigm shift. Ecocide is the accountability framework for those who violate it. Thank you. As you mentioned before, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, the Earth is facing a planetary crisis. Could you elaborate on what is being done to strengthen intergenerational equity in this regard? Sure. I think the easiest example was what was going on with the young people from the Pacific Islands and how they're bringing about a real consciousness shift. But this is not just happening only in the Pacific Islands. This, uh, you know, there is a number of climate litigation taking place uh, from Latin America to the Asia Pacific to Sweden, to Switzerland, uh, to various parts of Europe. Right now, there's a fascinating group of young people from Portugal who sued the whole European Union on the climate change issue. And this case is coming up in the European Court of Human Rights amongst the two other very important cases that are coming up on the climate change issue. So I think on intergenerational equity, there is a convergence of movements. You see the younger generation's activists, you know, not necessarily lawyers or human rights defenders, but really young people who are falling into this grouping called lawyers and human rights defenders because they're engaging with those individuals across generations. And then uh, there are seniors like, you know, the Climate Senior Run case in Switzerland, you know, group of uh, pensioners who really challenge the Swiss government. And this case is also before the European Court of Human Rights and you see uh, responsibilities being taken by the older generation. So whilst intergenerational equity is a key component on how to pursue international regimes, including for pursuing Earth trusteeship, this convergence of movements is, is a pattern that has to be necessarily recognized. Uh, and I think there has to be more effort given to amplifying these kind of patterns because we, unfortunately, the world still looks at uh, violence as its mainstream media outlets. I hope this convergence is not lost because the energy that is coming from the those who are actively engaged in bringing a consciousness shift is important for the next phase of international law and international environment law. In our world, we call it international ecological law because environment law has its limitations specifically understanding that intergenerational equity doesn't only work within boundaries of one state for example it has application beyond states and that's where intergenerational equity but all other principles of international law has to be necessarily accepted as the key principles invoking a spirit of our trusteeship if we are to survive the century I'm sorry to put it in in a dark sphere, but I feel that we are no longer in 1945 when the last nuclear bombs were carried out, but we are at a place where there's many, many powerful bombs out there yeah. uh, than 1945. And if there is no sanity prevailing, we would not have a chance to recognize this intergenerational equity if we've learned anything from the past. This is the way to go. Recognize the convergence, recognizing that uh, you know movements such as this, which are mostly people's movements, are coming together, and we need to keep that center stage, and that's key to ensure that we survive the century. Thank you for your insight on this. Um, in your words, what are the next steps for Earth trusteeship? 
in the medium to short term. So the Earth Trusteeship, I think, is something I hope to pass on to the next generation with the privileged, uh, limited time I have on the planet. But uh, there is a group of wonderful elders that I've worked with from indigenous leaders like, you know, Pauline Tangiora from Maori uh, in, in New Zealand, uh, Atoria, New Zealand, to Hans-Peter Dürer, who's a top nuclear physicist from the last generation. Future would be bringing a trusteeship both as a conceptual basis but also a political basis for our governance system. Informing the multilateral system first because I think the UN has its various achievements and also challenges and to overcome this. So our engagement especially over the last two years has tried to bring about a conversation in multiple processes leading to the UN Summit of the Future which is to be convened in September 2024, where the UN is supposed to deliberate on what next for the UN, the 2.0 for the UN, what mm. will be the next generation, how the multilateral system is going to either solve or manage some of the crises, including the you know triple planetary crisis that you mentioned before. At the same time, place where I'm dedicating my effort is to bring about a paradigm in education, because there needs to be necessary interdisciplinary efforts. And I think as lawyers have a huge responsibility here to go beyond our usual comfort zones, to engage with other disciplines, so that concepts such as trusteeship and environmental principles or principles such as intergenerational equity doesn't remain in the law books, right? And, and it's limited to law school and lawyers and courthouses, but it's open to children in general, older people in general, because irrespective of whichever discipline that you may be interested, I'm a firm believer, and I've seen this happen. I've been educated by people who've never seen inside a school, who've never been to school, and they're full of wisdom, and these are indigenous leaders. I've seen them debate with some of the top university advocates in forums. So that gives me the message, Paulina, that this kind of wisdom necessitates us to inform the next generation. So the group that is working alongside me, they're loosely calling them the Earth Trusteeship Working Group, which is a group of wonderful individuals, very well networked within the UN system, as well as uh, other governance systems. We're really trying to focus on the summit of the future next year, but beyond that, to bring about uh, a conversation, what we call the trusteeship dialogue, we're looking at next five to 10 years, because that's going to be a very, very crucial period of time in our shared history. If we don't achieve a kind of paradigm shift, or at least some consciousness shift, we are going to be in a lot of trouble than we are today. So that's the future that we're trying to engage, and uh, I am hopeful. Thank you. Lastly, could you suggest some further reading to our listeners? You've seen the book already, yeah. uh, so uh, this is a wonderful compilation called Reflections on Earth Trusteeship, Mother Earth and a New 21st Century Governance Paradigm. I'm really thankful to uh, the two editors, uh, Hans von Willensward, who is a, a Dutch Thai national and wonderful uh, visionary leader who's supporting this work, and uh, my good friend Justin Sobion, who's an international lawyer from Trinidad and Tobago. There's a two co editors of this book which came out in uh, April 2023 so it's fairly new it has 22 authors alongside myself talking about earth trusteeship in different disciplines 
we have architects, we have evolutionary biologists, we have farmers, we have bankers and financiers, to poets, to artists, all talking about what earth trusteeship means to them. So I would really recommend this book. I'm happy to share further details with you, Paulina, and I will recommend you to read it when you have time. It's an easy pickup. Uh, it's not too legal, heavy. <laughs> it has, as I said, you know, that artist drawing beautiful things, including the cover picture, which was drawn by yeah. Justin Sobion, which depicts Mother Earth uh, from the Maori culture, which is one part of the stories of origin. So this is one uh, book, but of course there is much more in the legal peripheries and the precedents that I mentioned, uh, including the work of Judge Viramantri at the International Court of Justice, Professor Klaus Boselman, uh, and wonderful work of you know Professor Edith Brown Weiss, who 30 years ago talked about what she called it fairness to future generations. So there is this work reflected in this book. There, hopefully. People will read it and get inspired and then begin to tell their stories on achieving a trusteeship. Yes, I can only echo your sentiments from the few chapters that I've read. It's a great read. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for your time and for your insights. Thank you very much, Pauline. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you.